Hey there, this is Cassie Stevens, and you're listening to the Cassie Stevens Podcast, where I talk about all things art teacher and based on my 23 plus years of teaching elementary art. Today, we're going to be talking about that dreaded art supply order when it comes to ordering fiber arts. I actually thought I had done a podcast titled that dreaded art supply order. Turns out I've done a blog post about it, which um, I will link in my on my blog when I go to post this podcast there. So be on the lookout. But that just lets me know that I owe y'all a podcast. So this is part two to the part one that I actually never recorded. At least I don't think I do, although I could have swore I did. I just took a glance at all the podcasts that I'd previously recorded, didn't see it there, but it could have been too quick of a glance. So I'll double check and I will get back to you. If I haven't done it, then stay tuned. I'll make sure to share. But today we're going to talk about all things fibers for your elementary art room. I don't know when you guys order your art supplies. I'm the worst at it. I absolutely hate it. I love shopping, hate ordering art supplies. Um, And those of you who've actually been teaching for a while, you're probably nodding your head in agreement because it's like this giant, and even new friends, it's that giant thick catalog. It's like getting the Sears and Robot catalog or JCPenney catalog when you were a kid's if, kid, if you grew up in the 80s, where you're so excited. Now that one's fun. You get to dive in and circle everything. It's kind of the same when you get your giant art supply catalogs because it's so exciting at first until you realize there's way too many options there's way too much stuff and your budget is just way too small to purchase everything that you could ever want. So when it comes to fibers, I'm going to scale it down some and share with you what I always order and have on hand for my kids to do sewing projects, weaving, embroidery, and more. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about something fun and exciting that I've been working really hard on with my friends, and that is the Art Teacher and Extravaganza. Oh my goodness, you guys, if you haven't heard the word, we have spots still available, tickets still available for you to attend the Art Teacher and Extravaganza, and there's a lot of options this year on how you could attend. If you would like to attend the Extravaganza for two days, you could do so on July 25th and 26th. Or you could do the what we're calling the sequel, which is if you attended last year, although nothing is repeated. So technically, you could come to the whole thing, even if you went last year, and you're not going to hear the same information. Or you could come to the sequel, which is the 27th and 28th. If you feel like Tuesday, two days of creating and hanging out with other art teachers just isn't enough for you, then you can join us for the whole shebang. The Art Teacher and Extravaganza will be held at Montgomery Bell State Park, which is in beautiful Burns, Tennessee, not too far, just 45 minutes away from Nashville. You can stay either on the grounds at the conference center. It's a beautiful hotel recently renovated. I absolutely love it there. That's where I stay. Or you can stay in one of their cabins. You guys, they have cabins. They have a campground. They also have beautiful Airbnbs nearby, as well as um, hotels in the town of Dixon. For more information to see that I've even gotten the schedule all mapped out. That's how excited I am. I've recruited some amazing presenters. Danielle McDaniel, the clay lady, is going to be doing our clay component. She's the bomb.com. My buddy Jen is going to be, she's like a mixed media slash 
bright, beautiful color project expert, also great at bringing in artists to work with her students. She's going to be one of the presenters and my good buddy, David, who is phenomenal at video editing and creating content as well as um, establishing a YouTube channel. Those are just some of the presenters along with yours truly that, well, just some, that is the presenter. So I don't want to give you the idea that there's going to be more. It's us. We're the lineup. That's four of us. And I'm going to be sharing with you all things fibers, printmaking, sculpture, and beyond. For more details on the art teacher and extravaganza, you can visit the link in my Instagram, which will take you straight over to Shopify. Or you can visit my blog, which will have more details on the extravaganza. I absolutely love fibers. I love to sew, whether it be hand stitching or sewing by machine. I love felting, although I think most of y'all know that I prefer needle felting over wet felting because I cannot deal with that wet dog smell. Um, I enjoy dyeing fabrics, like with the Shidori method, Shibori, Shidori, <laughs> Shidora the Explorer, Shibori, the Japanese method of dyeing fabric. And I also love weaving, all things weaving. And since I have a passion for fibers, I teach fibers with passion. Because as you guys know, when you teach something with enthusiasm, it's contagious. So despite my years-long love of fibers, which began during my summer when I was in third grade, when my grandmother taught me how to embroider, I bombed textiles in college. There was something about not setting up the loom perfectly and then having a big long run right down the middle of my woven scarf. It took my gray down from a solid B to a solid C. C for Cassie is what I told my parents, which they did not think that was as funny as I did. And as you can imagine, this made me a little nervous when I saw the words paper weaving in my first grade curriculum, my very first year teaching. How was I supposed to teach this if I wasn't confident in the subject matter myself? And I feel like that's the thing about art teaching. You are expected to be an absolute pro in all things that fall under the art umbrella. And folks outside of our colorful and creative universe, they just think that if you know how to draw, well, then you're an art teacher. But we know that art goes beyond drawing to include clay, fibers, printmaking, painting, technology, and some other stuff I, I can't remember and I'm not thinking of. And if you just so happen to get a C for Cassie in any of those courses in college or, like me, in printmaking and ceramics, I didn't even take that in college, your level of confidence and level of enthusiasm might be pretty low. So what are you going to do about it? For me, I started taking classes. I've taken, um, over the last like 23 years, I've taken weaving and sewing classes. I've taken them at a local craft place here in town. I've reached out to a lot of friends who do killer fibers projects with their kids when I wanted to learn how they did that and how they set it up and how they organized it and distributed supplies. And I've hosted craft nights with fellow art teachers, and I've asked them to share their favorite projects, fibers or not. And I've practiced until I felt really confident enough to share fibers with my students. So here's the thing. You don't have to be a pro in a thing to teach a thing. The magical ingredient is enthusiasm. And that being said, let's talk about fibers, what to order. 
um, how to organize it, which I'm gonna, I think I'm going to probably talk more about in a future podcast. Otherwise, this one podcast is going to be very lengthy. Um, and just how to kind of set up for success. So let's start with fabric. And when I say uh, fiber arts, what I'm mostly talking about here is sewing, embroidery, weaving, um, and there was something else, but I can't remember. Sewing, yeah, those three things. Is that right? I'm sure I'm forgetting something. I won't be tackling things like tie-dye or needle felting, maybe in a future podcast, because those are both things that I've done with my students in my art room. But those are also things that are kind of like I'll call special occasion projects. It's not something that I do every year. Um, but sewing, weaving, and embroidery, that's definitely something that is a part of my um, my fibers unit, and we do tackle that every year. So fabric. I swear to you, I think I was teaching for about five minutes before all these sweet little old ladies came out of the woodwork asking me if I could use yarn or fabric. And when I said, sure, I didn't know that that was going to mean a U-Haul was going to back itself up to my art room and dump garbage bag after garbage bag of fabric on my doorstep. So with that in mind, there's a good chance you'll never have to purchase uh, printed fabric anyway. Now, if you prefer your fabric not to have a print, or to be honest, the slight smell of cat, you might want to purchase the following in addition. So quilters cotton. The afore that aforementioned uh, bag of donated fabric from somebody's sweet grandma is more than likely quilters cotton. And that's, you know, a lot of the dresses that I sew and wear that you've probably seen. Those are also made out of quilters cotton. When you go into a place like Joann's, it's the fabric section that greets you first. It's the one with all the really fun and beautiful and bold prints on it. The one that immediately catches your eye. Um, quilters cotton is 100% cotton fabric that's easy to cut and it comes in a wide variety of prints. The printed side, by the way, is called the right side and the reverse is called the you're correct, the wrong side. Good job, you. Look at you. If your students are sewing with printed fabric, it's going to be really important to pay attention to the right side and the wrong side. Quilters cotton can be purchased in some of those big box craft stores like Joann's and fabric shops, but really someone in your school will more than likely have a huge stash, stash of fabric that they'd love to donate to you. I'm one of them. You just let me know <laughs> if you're nearby. I'm always looking to kind of downsize on my massive fabric stash. So before you go to the fabric store, send out an email, put out a notice in your school's newsletter, and just let folks know that, hey, I'm taking fabric donations. Quilter's Cotton is really good for hand sewing. It's a thin fabric, so it's easy to cut if students are cutting different shapes like maybe circles for pillows, squares, that kind of thing. We use this fabric for pillow or like stuffed creature making. Um, it could also be used for embroidery. And to store the fabric, I just keep the fabric 
I try to fold it kind of sort of neatly, but when the kids are kind of going through it looking for fabric print they like, it inevitably gets disheveled, disheveled. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. It gets messy, real messy, real fast. So I just keep our fabric in a really big clear bin so that the students can see the variety of choices available. And here's a little tip for you. If you are cutting something like quilter's cotton and also muslin, which we're going to talk about in just a second, instead of taking the scissors and cutting it painstakingly all the way down the length of the fabric, you've probably seen folks at the fabric store do this, where they just cut a small snip and then tear the fabric. And that creates a nice, quick, straight line right down the weave of the fabric because it's a woven fabric. It will kind of um, unravel and warp, I guess, the edge a little bit. Warp's probably not the right word. It's drawing a blank right here. But you can always iron that flat if it bothers you. But honestly, if I'm cutting and tearing fabric for the kids, it's usually because I'm working on a really short plan time. I need to get it done quickly. And a little bit of a rough edge isn't an issue. Now let's talk about muslin. Muslin is a cotton, much like quilter's cotton, but it doesn't have the print on it. So it can be purchased in white, or I like to purchase it in its like natural kind of oatmeal color. If you've ever watched Project Runway, it's the fabric that the contestants do all their draping and initial um, dressmaking with. You can buy it on the bolt, which is the best way to go. But you can also, um, when you do get it on the bolt, I would buy it at your local craft store, not in your art supply catalogs, because I noticed the prices were a lot higher. When you go to your craft store, go with all those coupons and your teacher ID to really help you bring that price down. Muslin is like a blank sheet of textile paper. Your students can dye it. They could do tie dyeing with it. My favorite way is to have them dye it with um, Sharpies. And I can never say this word right, so bear with me isopropyl, the 70% alcohol. (laughs) If you have my book, Stitch and String Lab for Kids, um, which if you're thinking about doing textile projects for kids, I would really recommend it. Um, Shameless self-promotion here. But one of the projects in my book is to do what I call a faux shibori, where the kids use permanent markers and that 70% alcohol to do a kind of dyeing effect. I'll get more into that in just a moment. But you can also stamp on muslin, draw on it with permanent or fabric markers, and you can paint it. So from there, you could then stitch designs and embroider or sew it into something like a pillow or a stuffy. Okay, let's talk about that little faux shibori thing I was telling you about. So to create a faux shibori fabric with my students, um, it's always a huge hit. We do a study of the art of shibori, which is a Japanese form of dyeing fabric. My students are then given two pieces of about 10 inch, inch square muslin. They then fold the fabric any way that they want to after learning about some shibori fabric folding techniques. And once it's folded, think of it like as almost an origami kind of fold. Then they secure it in place with a clothespin. We use those permanent markers to color the edge of the folded fabric in a variety of colors. And then we dip, holding it by the clothespin, we then dip the fabric into that 70% alcohol. I'm not saying that word anymore. That one. They dip it and then they let, it becomes completely saturated with alcohol. 
much like me on a Saturday night. Just kidding. And then we place it on a styrofoam plate so that it can dry. It's important that it dries on a styrofoam plate because if you put it on a paper plate, all of the um, permanent marker ink will run out of the fabric and dry onto the plate, making for a really colorful plate and a not very colorful piece of fabric. The styrofoam, however, is great because when it it doesn't absorb the um, the color, and so the fabric kind of gets to dry in its own juices, so to speak. And when it does dry, unclip it, unfold it, it unfold it, and it's really a beautiful piece of fabric. From there, my students have two of those pieces of fabric. We sew all three sides, stuff it, sew the last side closed, and voila, we have a pillow. All right, back to fabric. Felt is another fabric that's great to have in your room if you're planning on doing sewing projects or textile projects with your kids. Felt is a type of fabric that's created by kind of matted and pressed together fibers. And felt can be made with either wool fiber, like wet felting kind of felt, or synthetic fibers, which is craft felt that you find in the craft store. And that's the really um, inexpensive kind. And it's basically the kind that you probably have a ton of in your closet. It is the best to use in an art room because it's cheap and it comes in a ton of different colors. I purchased my craft felt in variety packs in the art supply catalogs. Um, If you know that you're going to need a really specific color of felt, then you could purchase it on the bolt. So for example, my students, almost every year we do a little sewn pizza pillow project. And for that, we need a lot of tan felt for the crust of the pizza. So I always purchase a bolt of that tan craft felt with all my coupons and my teacher ID to bring the price down. And then that bolt will last me a couple of years. Once craft felt has been cut into by students, it's about as fun to manage as like pieces of collage paper. If you're not careful, you're going to have bits and pieces of craft felt everywhere. So I have started sorting our craft felt by color and just keeping it in copy paper boxes. This makes it easy for my students to find the color they need and easy for me to just store in my closet when we're not using it. Like cotton fabrics, felt is great for sewing projects like pillows and stuffies or stuffed animals. A benefit of felt is that once it's cut, its edges don't fray, unlike the cotton fabric or muslin. Okay, you've probably heard of something called felting, right? I mentioned before that I do a lot of needle felting. I've done some wet felting. And this kind of felting involves natural wool roving and agitating the fibers of the wool until they lock in place and become a fabric. And that fabric is called felt. So this is the natural felting that I talked about. You can find natural felt in the craft store as well. It's normally sold on the bolt. And when you go to the craft store, if you're in the aisle with the felt, you'll notice that there's some felt that's very inexpensive. And then you're going to have sticker shock when you see another kind of felt the one that's a lot higher in price, that's the natural wool felt. So if you're shopping, just be careful, unless you're wanting to use that kind of fabric, that you steer clear of it and get the craft store felt. 
And if you ever want to do felting with your kids, I've got lessons in my Stitch and String Lab book or projects, I should say. And um, I'll talk about that, I think, in a following podcast because this podcast is already getting to be a little bit lengthy. Now let's talk about burlap. Oh, God, burlap. I have a love-hate with burlap. Um, In fact, just saying the word burlap makes the hairs on the inside of my nose stand on end, and I want to like rub my nose really hard. It's something about those little tiny fibers that make my nose twitch like a bunny. Burlap is a woven fabric with a rough kind of texture. It's made from plants like jute or flax or hemp, which, you know, those aren't exactly known for their soft texture. So if you're allergic to any of those plants, you may find burlap really unpleasant to work with. I don't think I'm allergic, and I, for the most part, find it unpleasant to work with. So um, you may just end up like a, with a twitchy nose like me. I mean, I love it for what it is in that it's great to use for kids. I just don't enjoy that texture and the little furzies that get in my nose. What I love about it um, is that burlap is an open weave. And that allows for my students to see through the fabric, making it easy for them to understand sewing and embroidery because they can actually see their hand under the fabric holding the needle. Unlike the other fabrics, which have a much tighter weave, burlap is loose. And that means that you can use a large and a blunt needle with that kind of fabric, which was is great if you're teaching younger kids how to sew. You don't want to put a sharp needle in a first grader's hand, but you can give them a blunt needle and burlap and share with them a very similar experience to sewing. In your art supply catalogs, you can purchase burlap in a variety of colors and pre-cut sheets. Um, you can also purchase a colorful assortment of burlap on the bolt once again at your craft store. To save money, I've purchased a lot of burlap on the bolt before, and then I just cut it to size. So let's talk about cutting burlap because I learned this actually at the craft store when I was having somebody cut some burlap for me. It's like I mentioned, very loosely woven. And if you just take a pair of scissors to burlap and cut it, If you're not cutting right on that woven line, you could end up cutting apart the weave and it could just constantly be fraying and coming apart on you. So one way to make sure that you cut your burlap on a nice straight line is to cut a little snip of your burlap and then pull the fabric apart a bit and you're going to see the strings of the weave. One of those strings of the weave, gently pull on it tug on it and pull it completely out of the burlap. Once you've released it from the burlap, you're going to see a runner in the burlap, just like you would see a runner in a pair of stockings or hose. Do people wear those anymore? (laughs) No. If you're an 80s person, you know what I'm talking about. Um, That is the line you're going to cut on. You're going to cut on that run. If you're totally a person like me who needs a visual for this, Like I mentioned, I feel like I'm plugging this book so much, but Stitch and String Lab for Kids has a visual for you to see it. Cut along that line. You're cutting on an edge that'll make it so the weave doesn't constantly come out unless it's pulled on. Who's going to pull on all those fibers to undo the burlap weave? Small humans. Guaranteed. So what I would recommend is your next step after cutting your burlap to size Lay all of your burlap out on some plasticky kind of surface, maybe old grocery bags, 
Ziploc bags, um, some saran wrap, whatever. I usually just lay a bunch of grocery bags out on a table at school, lay all the burlap on that, and I usually do this right after school, draw a line of glue around the edge of the burlap and let that dry overnight. And what that does is that will lock those little fibers into place so your students won't unweave the burlap. All right, now let's move on to the last fabric I'm going to recommend, which is SmartFab. SmartFab is like the new kid on the fibers block in the art room. You guys are probably familiar with SmartFab um, the most because it's those lightweight it's that fiber that all those lightweight grocery bags that you get as a freebie everywhere you go are made out of. I think I have 2,000 of them. None of them do I ever remember to take with me into the grocery store. That is SmartFab. It's lightweight and it's thin, which means that the lighter colors, they tend to be a little bit see-through. Um, I like it because it's non-woven, and that means when you cut it, it's not going to fray, unlike burlap and quilter's cotton. It's kind of like a really lightweight felt in that respect. I mean, it's not made out of the same thing, but and that you can cut it and it doesn't fray, doesn't come apart. Kids can cut it really easily, so it's great for sewing. And it can also be drawn on. You can paint on it. Um, and you can find it in your art supply catalogs. I like to purchase it in a variety of variety pack. It comes in a ton of different colors. Or you can also buy it on the roll. And in the past, we've used it for sewing with regular sewing needles. The weave of it, though, is very tight, so it's not ideal for a blunt needle. I told you this uh, podcast episode was going to be long. That was uh, just the fibers or the fabric portion. Let's move on to thread. If you're sewing or doing embroidery with kids, you're going to need some thread. And as a kid, I learned to embroider with embroidery floss. And if you're not familiar, embroidery floss is sold as a loop of thread, and it comes in a ton of beautiful colors. And the floss is made of six separate strands of thread, which are usually separated before somebody does their embroidery. And traditionally, folks will stitch with either two to three strands of the floss, which means that you have to pull it apart from the other six. If this sounds like a nightmare waiting to happen, y'all, that's because it is. I think I might be used embroidery floss with students and had them separate it one class. And then I was like, torch it, throw it in the towel. We ain't doing that again. Um, I don't even like doing it myself because inevitably you get a tangled mess. So if you're going to do sewing or embroidery, do not use embroidery floss. Another thing I would recommend not using is just thread. And I was flipping through my art supply catalog. Those are sadly the only things they sell in there. They sell thread on the spool and embroidery floss, neither of which I ever use when sewing with kids. The thread is just too thin. Sometimes if you tug on it, it snaps and breaks. Not a fan. So instead, here's what I would recommend you use cotton crochet thread, size 10. Size matters, as y'all know, and size 10 is perfect because it's the same thickness as embroidery floss, but it does not fray. It's not made out of six different strands. It's not going to come apart. And if you're going to be doing any sort of sewing with your kids, that's what I would recommend. Now, it does come in a variety 
variety of colors. It's rather limited, but it does come, I think, in red, blue, white. Y'all, if you're sewing with kids, save your sanity and just get one color white, right? And then if they're sewing something like my students are sewing their pizzas together, that's what they can use to stitch the edges. You can find that in a skein. It's going to be kind of like a square little skein. A skein is a bundle of thread or yarn at your craft store, but make sure that it is 10, size 10. Now, you can also buy something called craft thread. Craft thread is great if you want your kids to have a variety of colors. Remember I said just get one color if you're stitching? What if you want to do embroidery? And embroidery is all about using a variety of colors. Craft fret thread, craft fret looks just like embroidery floss, except it's a twisted strand of threads. It's more like what you would see folks using if they're doing friendship bracelets. Doesn't come apart, doesn't fray. It's less expensive than embroidery floss, and you can buy it in pretty large packets of a variety of colors at your craft store. And then last thing I would think about using if you're doing embroidery or weaving um, projects with your kids is yarn. When introducing sewing or embroidery to my young artists, yarn is a great alternative because it comes in a variety of colors. It can be easily threaded into a blunt needle or a plastic needle. Um, we use yarn for embroidery when stitching on burlap. In your craft stores and in your art supply catalogs, yarn is sold by that skein that I mentioned, that bundle of yarn. And in your catalog, you can also find it sold in boxes where the yarn is on a cone. For my students, I've noticed that having a variety of color is important. We tend to wear out red, white, and black the most, but I also purchase a rainbow assortment of yarn. Some yarn can even be purchased in fluorescent colors, which is really cool because then you can incorporate your textiles projects into like a black light gallery. Um, we'll touch on how to cut and distribute yarn, I think probably in the next podcast, but um, that having a good amount of yarn in your stash is um, is a pretty great thing. And that's another thing that if you just reach out to your school family or the family of your students, somebody's bound to have a bunch of yarn that they would love to donate. Like I said, it was um, yarn can be sold or is sold in the skein, which is like that twisted bundle of yarn. Here's a tip for you. The end, um, which is something that I didn't learn until not too long ago, the end of the yarn can be found on either side of the skein, but sometimes it's difficult to find it because it's inside of the yarn and you may be tempted to unwrap the yarn from the outside. And that, if you unwrap your yarn or distribute it that way or have your students unwrap it that way, that eventually is going to lead to a big tangled mess. You wanna always be able to pull your yarn from the middle of the skein. So if you are shopping for yarn in your craft store, look for a skein or a bundle of yarn where you can see a little tail of yarn hanging from either end of the skein. And then when you start working with the skein, gently pull the yarn from that end. Now, I didn't mention what kind of needle to use when stitching with the cotton crochet thread 
or the craft thread. So let's talk about that next. Let's talk about pins and needles. Having the right kind of needle for the projects for projects is really important. So here are the needles that we keep on hand and what we use them for in our fiber projects. I get questions about needles all the time. That did not sound right, um, but y'all know what I mean. So let's let's go down the list because I was just kind of perusing the needle assortment in your art supply catalog, and the one that I strongly recommend the most isn't even in there. Blunt tapestry needles is something that a lot of us probably have in our storage closets right now, whether we ordered them or the past art teacher did. And they come in either metal or plastic. They're the ones that are about two inches long and they have a really big eye, which is great for threading. And they have a blunt tip, which is perfect for those young stitchers, those kindergarten, not that I have (laughs) kindergarten. Who am I kidding? For those, let's be honest, first and second graders first grade like in the spring when they're almost quite second graders and second graders also in the spring when they're almost third graders that's a great time to introduce sewing but those are the kind of needles I use Um, and I prefer to purchase the metal ones because the plastic ones when they get a plastic needle in their hand it just doesn't feel very grown up when you tell them they're going to be learning sewing or learning how to sew they're excited because they're getting ready to use something that they perceive to be an adult art supply but then you give them a plastic needle and they're like this is for babies right so if you have a choice in your art supply catalog even though they're more expensive I say buy the metal ones. They also last a lot longer. The plastic ones, they tend to get bent. For some reason, my I found some that have been chewed on, which is always quite disturbing. I don't understand that. Um, that's why I would recommend using those. And those blunt needles are great for, like I mentioned before, stitching with burlap. We've also used them in fourth grade when my fourth graders have woven pouches and they're getting ready to sew buttons on because those needles go perfectly through the woven threads of their pouch. Speaking of plastic needles, though, if you are going to be doing weaving with your students, you'll also notice in your art supply catalog that there are six inch plastic needles. And I do love those when I'm doing weaving with my fourth graders. We Every other-ish year, we'll do um, loom weaving where we weave pouches on the loom. And I'm going to talk about what looms to purchase here in a moment. But it's a lot easier to do that weaving with a needle. And those two-inch needles I was just chatting about before, those don't work as well. This six inch one is perfect for weaving. So if you plan on doing weaving with your students, I would definitely suggest getting some of those. Now let's talk about sewing and embroidery needles. This is what I recommend. This is the question I get asked a lot about. What needles are your students using for sewing? Chenille needles. C-H-E-N-I-L-L-E needles, size 18 to 24. If your students will be sewing on smart fab, felt, or cotton fabric, they are going to need to have a sharp needle with a large eye. And I prefer chenille needles in the sizes 1824 for this. And you can purchase these at your local craft store in a pack. They are not super easy to thread by hand, so don't get needle threaders. Instead, teach your students something called the hot dog bun trick. So for that, 
Just cut a little tiny piece of paper that folded in half lengthwise can fit easily through the eye of the needle. Have your students open that little piece of paper that we call the hot dog bun and put their cut thread inside the bun. Pinch the bun closed and then slide that pinch piece of paper through the eye of the needle. Take it all the way out and your needle is now threaded. Those needle threaders that they sell in the store or that you might use or you might have on hand, they break really easily. The kids get frustrated with them. This hot dog bun trick is always something my kids can understand. Something that I noticed that was sold in the art supply catalog are tapestry needles. They had tapestry needles size 16 through 13 through 16. And tapestry needles, they have a large eye like chenille needles. They also have a pointed tip, which is great because it allows them to stitch on cotton or anything with that tighter weave, felt, um, maybe smart fab. Here's my only hiccup with those tapestry needles. They're a pretty big needle. So if your students are stitching on something that's a tighter weave like smart fab or maybe even some of the cotton fabrics, they're really going to have to tug to pull that needle through the fabric. So while I like those tapestry needles because they've got a big eye and they're pointy and sharp, I don't love how thick they are. Not only that, but I noticed that they're $2 each. Crazy. That's how much they are in the art supply catalog. Don't spend that much. Make sure if you're going to use them to get them cheaper at your craft store. Another thing I'd snag at the craft store are some sewing pins. Um, that way, if your kids are making pillows, those pieces of shibori fabric that I mentioned before, when my students pin them, they pin them right sides together, the beautiful sides together, and they pin them in place so that as they sew, the fabric isn't moving around. We prefer to use the pins that have the colorful ball at the end and that are a little bit longer in length because they're easier to spot and find if we misplace them on the floor, at their seats, in their chair, heaven forbid, wherever. Speaking of that... Let's now follow up that with wands, magnetic wands. <laughs> that wasn't the best segue. You know, some people, they use pin cushions in their room. Um, I have tried pin cushions. It's just a whole lot easier if you have a magnetized surface for kids to just collect their pins with or put their pins and needles back on. So I've purchased, you can find these at the craft store, something they call magnetic wands. It's just a little handheld magnet that's wrapped in plastic. And we use those to wave over the table to collect any of the pins that are left behind or put any pins and needles on. You're definitely going to want to have something like that to both collect and distribute your needles and pins. I don't have a glamorous system. I don't have a, you know, I've tried it though, y'all. I've tried to have like a block of styrofoam that's numbered where each needle goes back in the number. Oh my gosh, who am I even kidding when I set up all these like organizational systems? And as I'm doing it, I know the person who's going to sabotage it first is going to be myself. You know, inevitably when art class is over, I just tell them to quote, park their needle. They just push it into their fabric and know that next art class, they back it out of the fabric. When it comes to pins, we just put them back on the magnet wands. We have one 
or two people go from table to table, waving the wands over the table, checking the floor carefully for any lost pins or needles. And that's about as organized as I can get it without having some sort of system that I have to hold myself or my students to that I know I'm not going to be able to hold myself or my students to. Okay. Now let's chat about scissors. I know if you're like me, you have one million pairs of scissors in your art room. It's like scissors and pom-poms, pipe cleaners, popsicle sticks. They all have a breeding fest in my art room whenever I'm not there. I have a wealth of those things and scissors, no matter how many pairs I have, finding a pair that will actually cut fabric is like finding gold. So what I would recommend doing is getting some scissors from the fabric section of your fabric store. They do have good scissors in your art supply catalogs as well that you save just for cutting fabric, particularly felt, because felt is something that is great to use doesn't fray when cut into pieces, but is not easy to cut if you have a pair of junky scissors. So get some scissors that you reserve just for sewing, maybe spray paint the handles bright yellow, make sure to keep them far away when you're not sewing, maybe in a cabinet with all your other sewing supplies, and make sure your students understand the importance of only using those scissors on fabric. Because they're kind of expensive, maybe get one pair of fabric scissors per table per four students, and then expand on that order of scissors every year until you have a nice class set. Here's some things that you don't need when you are doing sewing um, or embroidery with your students that I thought you did need and now I never ever use. So I don't want you to to um, spend that kind of cash. You do not need embroidery hoops. And I have so many. And they're such a drag to store. They're also a drag to share with kids how to put their project on. And then at the end of the art class, if you don't have enough, how to take off, right? It's just a pain. If your students are doing embroidery on burlap, then if you do the glue around the edges trick, that'll make it so it doesn't unravel. It, you know, it is nice to have that night, that nice taunt surface that embroidery hoop provides. Um, so if you are going to be doing embroidery on something like a quilter's cotton or a muslin, then yes, an embroidery hoop is nice to have. But duh, I've just had a lot of not favorable experiences with it. So I tend to steer clear of them. If you're working in a smaller groups, after school art club, then yeah, it's great. And also that's one of those things where if you, again, send out an email, throw that into the email request list, check your thrift stores. I think the majority of my embroidery hoops have been purchased there. They are inexpensive. I always prefer the wood ones over the plastic ones. Not only are they less expensive, they just seem to work a lot better in the hands of small humans. Now let's talk Weaving supplies. To finish off your arts, your fiber art supply order, um, here are the things that I would kind of suggest for weaving. I love teaching weaving. Uh, We usually start in first grade with a paper weaving project. And then from there, we venture into circle loom weaving, tree weaving, and by fourth grade, we do pouch weaving. And 
Again, if you Google my name or and fiber arts projects, you'll see a whole slew of um, my favorite weaving projects, including all of those mentioned. Sometimes I'll do a little bit of a sewing and a weaving unit in a school year, but most of the time I usually do one or the other, meaning if my second graders are learning how to do circle loom weaving, then they don't do a sewing project. But then the next year in third grade, they'll do a sewing project and not a weaving project. So I usually alternate between the two, making sure they get some sort of fibers project, but school year is usually just too short for us to do both. Now let's talk about looms for weaving. I do a lot of my um, weavings on plates. We do, like I mentioned, the circle loom and the tree weavings are done on plates. And chinette plates are hands down the best ones that you can get your hands on. I know they're a lot more expensive than your traditional paper plates, but thank me later because they are so thick. It's like they were meant for art class. They're thick and we always paint on them. We'll usually paint a landscape if we're doing tree weaving or um, a concentric circle design if we're doing the circle loom weaving. They hold the paint without warping. And when you get ready to weave on them, the structure of the plate, because of the thickness, can really withstand your kids doing a lot of art on them. The other thing I love about chinette plates is you can find them not only in circles in a variety of sizes, so you could do small circle loom weaving or large. They also come in square, which is cool, and big ovals. We've used the large oval plates to do the tree weaving before, and I loved that it gave just a different kind of shape and a look to the project. So chinette plates, you can buy them at your grocery store, and you can usually get them in a pretty big stash, like I think a stash of maybe 50 or more. Cardboard looms, when you open that art supply catalog, it cracks me up. They have all of these different looms that you can purchase. And honestly, I've purchased them all because I'm a fiber arts freak. And I just have this vision that one day my students will come in and I'll they'll be weaving at the tall friendly loom, which is the big stand-up loom that's a couple hundred bucks. I have to, um, which we can't use right now because COVID. And then we've got, I have, because I found at the thrift store, a huge assortment of those tabletop looms. I mean, you guys, I probably have, I don't know, five different kinds of those, which are great, but not a single kid can complete one full project on it, right? I always have ideas that it's going to be an open center, but with 30-minute art classes, it's pretty tricky to teach everybody, here's how you use this very specific loom. Okay, only one kid can use it. Okay, it's time to clean up. <laughs> so I, in fact, as I'm cleaning out my art room, just to kind of get ready for next year, I was contemplating even parting ways with them. I just can't do it. Regardless, there's a bunch of looms in your art supply catalog and your girl here has bought them all. But I would recommend not doing that. And if you're going to do something like pouch weaving, which I've done a lot of with your students, then I would recommend getting the three and a quarter by 13 inch chipboard looms. They sell them in a stash of 12 each. Um, and I usually purchase one per student. And normally, like I said, I haven't done it in a while because my art classes are 30 minutes. But 
In the past, when I had hour-long classes, we would do a pouch weaving project every year. Loved teaching it. The kids loved making pouches. Easily one of their most favorite things. There's two different kinds of these chipboard looms you can find. One has wide notches. The other does not. I would recommend getting the one that does not have the wide notches because the wide notches make for a very loose weaving, making the pouch kind of flimsy. If the weaving is a little tighter, it's going to be a lot sturdier. So that's what I would recommend getting. And you could use those year after year-ish. They kind of have a short life because inevitably they get bent. The ends get a little ragged looking. So usually what my students will do is they would make a pouch on it, take the weaving off, and then I would give them the option of warping it again and making another one if they wanted to on their own time now that they knew how to do it, or they could give the loom back to me. So if you're thinking of doing some sort of pouch weaving with your students, then I would suggest getting those. I have purchased um, wooden looms for my students as well, and I've used those just a handful of times because once that weaving was complete and off the loom, it was a cute little weaving, but my students were always like, what is this? What am I doing with this? What is this? What do I do with it? You know, it's so having something that's functional and makes sense um, was a lot more fun for them as opposed to just making a weaving that kind of sits on a table, which I thought was amazing, but them, not so much. Last but not least, I would suggest getting some beads or buttons if you're planning on doing sewing or embroidery with your kids, something that they love to add to that are buttons and beads. If you're going to do that, I would suggest pony beads as well as buttons that have a really big opening. This way, students can easily slide that large blunt needle through it. It's great fun to do that with your younger kids if they're working on burlap. So make sure you're looking for those buttons and beads that have a nice large opening. Last but not least, fabric glue. When my kids make those pizza pillows that I mentioned, when they are cutting out shapes to glue to their pizza, they use fabric glue to glue those shapes. Regular school glue just doesn't do the trick. And as a little tip, when we pass out that glue, I do it the same way I do my other glue. I squirt just a little bit into a condiment cup. The kids use an old junky paintbrush to paint the glue onto the fabric and stick it on that way. Hot dog. That was a long, long podcast episode. So if you hung in there, good for you. Look at you. So that is what I would order if I was thinking about starting down the road of sharing um, fiber arts with my students. Again, just flipping through that fiber arts catalog, you're going to see that there's other things in there like tie-dye, like I mentioned, batik, um, which I love batik. And there was something else, um, painting on silk and all that jazz. I can't share too much information, needle felting. I can't share too much information on that as it applies to an elementary art room. I've done a ton of batik, needle felting and wet felting on my own and tie-dye. I've actually done tie-dye a lot with the kids. But I feel like if you want to get started with the basics, what I've shared with you, them's the basics. And perhaps in a future podcast, We'll talk about that other stuff too. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining me. This is Cassie Stevens. And thank you for hanging in there for the Cassie Stevens podcast. Talk to you guys soon.